Hey, this is DJ Ashford from Guns N' Roses at 6 a.m., and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is Money Man. I got two tickets, but I'm taking everybody, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hang out and turn it up. Hello, all you rockers out there. This is Oni Logan from the Lynch Mob, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is George Lynch from Lynch Mob, Dawkins, Souls of Lee, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Welcome to episode 168 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I am your host, John. Episode 168, we have the distinguished pleasure of speaking to former guitarist of the Dokken, current guitarist of the Lynch Mob, George Lynch. Uh, makes a return visit to the show. Uh, they have a new EP out, uh, tour going on. They'll be hitting our area of uh, western Pennsylvania coming up very soon, September 28th. They will be playing at Changes Nightclub in Newcastle, PA. So if you're in the sound of my voice, uh, it's a good chance you're in the United States. There's also a pretty good chance out of that you're in the Western PA region. So you want to check that out. Uh, you can go to Facebook and look at Changes Nightclub. I believe it's Changes Nightclub NC is their name. Get all the information. But we wanted to talk to George and find out what's been going on with him. So off the new EP, which is called Sound Mountain Sessions, here's the first single called Slow Drag. Oh, 
George Lynch joining us. How are you doing, George? Hey, how are you doing? Uh, so I, I, I want to apologize for the uh, situation in the last interview. Oh, no, no. Uh, uh, middle of getting uh, getting on a plane, and uh, uh, so it was a, sort of an unfortunate, uh, uh, you know, just the way that interview got triangulated. So anyways, we're back. No problem at all. Um, you have a, a new disc out, um, Sound Mountain Sessions. Can you give us a little bit of the background on how that project came about and how you got all the guys to get together to play on that album? Yeah, we, we tried to take a chance with this record, <clears throat> the EP, and uh, record really uh, in a very non-traditional way, meaning you know a way that we're not used to recording, which is... Um, you know, we had been working in a, you know, a larger studio in Hollywood and, and uh, you know, the way we normally do. And we thought, you know, I think we have better results when we just practice. You know, when we're in our band room sure. and we're just don't care and we're just having fun and we're coming up with ideas. So let's record that way. So um, I uh, had a friend who knew somebody who had a studio. So it's uh, about an hour north of where we live, which is about an hour north of L.A. So it's up in the mountains. Okay. It's called Sound Mountains, and uh, it's basically a vacant two-story house on a bunch of acres, really beautiful, mm-hmm. and it's uh, equipped with a studio. And uh, But, you know, you kind of stay there when you work there. Okay. And uh, we went in and, uh, you know, really without hardly any preconceived ideas, just sort of, let's see what happens. And uh, so it was a beautiful experience because we lived together, and from when we, you know, woke up to when we went to sleep, um, we were pretty much consumed with, with the music that we were creating. You know, lyrics, the, the arrangements, uh, we were experimenting and capturing it all. Right at the point where when it was being created rather than how we normally do it, which is we go into a rehearsal space and we come up mm-hmm. with ideas, work it to death, and then go back into a studio and try to recapture it. And, uh, yeah. 
And there's always a bit of demoitis with that. I'm, you know, with a lot of the records I've done, including um, Docking Under Lock and Key, I think it was back to, the, back to the Attack, I can't remember, but we had done one of those records kind of the way I just described, <clears throat> and uh, it was great. And when we did the record for real and spent all the money in, you know, six mm-hmm. months making it what we thought was the right way, it was very kind of disappointing to us. It wasn't what we lost the fire. Yeah. It also happened on Wicked Sensation, believe it or not. The demos of Wicked Sensation were done the way I just described, you know, kind of in a, a friend's place. We were, yeah. just, we were creating the stuff on the spot and recording it, you know, really well so that it recaptured uh, a moment. And uh, and uh, I remember going into my management office and playing them the new record, which is the one that everybody knows. And they were like, well, that's good, but what happened to that other stuff you guys recorded? Yeah. It was way better. Yeah, you lose the the. the what we got this time was, you know, I mean, we spent a week in there, and uh, and uh, it was wonderful. And we bonded as a band, and you know, we had barbecues and have a few beers and a few laughs. But we worked really, really hard, you know, fourteen hours a day, and and we knocked it out of the park. I thought it was a beautiful experience. I mean, we didn't have a lot of time to overthink anything. You know? Yeah, yeah, I think that's, you, you hear a lot of bands, uh, you know, in the in the 70s and things like that, even the Beatles and things that would go and immerse themselves in a record, but you don't hear that, especially in the Pro Tools era and as expensive as recording studios are, so it's great to see something organic like that come together. Yeah, the only way it can get any better is if we went to tape. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, we enjoyed the experience so much that we're going, actually, we just got off the road yesterday and we're going back there today. Okay. Week. And uh, I'm going to continue on our full-length, uh, working on our full-length record. Yeah, now, with this record, I mean, one of the things I think Oni's voice brings to the band is, is a, a certain degree of soul to his, his voice, but this these particular recordings to me to seem to even be more soulful. Was that a, a direction that it took, or, or am I maybe reading into it a little? No, when we did Wicked, we were coming off that whole 80s thing. Mm-hmm. So we had a bit of that, you know, that was sort of embedded in our psyche uh, in 1989, 1990. Um, and, you know, in the ensuing decades, I mean, we've all sort of been expressing our, uh, you know, our roots a little bit more. I mean, we're all, all of us, everybody in the band are really deep blues guys and you know, and, and just, you know, soul music and R&B music and funk music and, you know, you name it, you know, yeah. pretty much everything. And um, and we don't feel like we have anything that we need to conform to. Uh, for instance, on Time Mountain Sessions, it wasn't like, well, you know, we need to be a certain thing because that's who we are. We just thought, well, let's just do what we love to do. Yeah. And what we love to do is, is blues-based hard rock. And... Uh, which we expressed very well on the first record. Um, and uh, I think we finally got back around to that on this record as well. So yeah. Sure. Yeah, which is great. I mean, it, it's it's great that uh, things got ironed out with Oni. Um, you mentioned about the blues. I, I noticed the photo on the back, I have to admit, as soon as I saw that, uh, for those of, that can't see it right now, George is sitting there and he's got a hat and acoustic guitar. You kind of have a Stevie Ray Vaughan on the cover of Instep. Was, was he a particular player you ever got into? Oh, I mean, I can't imagine uh, any guitar player on the planet who's not into Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although I'm old enough to know that Stevie Ray Vaughan, if, you know, Albert King and Jimi Hendrix are a love child, it would be named Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. And 
so there was early on there was a little bit of that for me. I mean, you mm-hmm. can't deny his abilities and, mm-hmm. and what what he does is just unbelievable. But at the same time, I would sort of take it with a, a sort of a grain of salt in in that you know it, it was really you know take half a Hendrix and half Albert King and you got you know yes you really want yeah um, that's not taking anything away from anybody um, but as a guitar player. Um, to me, you, you get more points if it's if you're um, uh, if your inspirations are a little more well disguised. Sure. Um, and again, that's not to take any away from Stevie because Oz, you know, I mean, I, he's unbelievable. I love him, you know. But I just have to say that he just to me there was a certain amount of repackaging, whether it was intentional or not. Yeah. Where if you take somebody like Alan Holdsworth. To me, that was a much more unique. Certainly had his influences, but uh, as we all do. But I think he was much more um, kind of having his own voice. Say, yeah, yeah. Certainly, uh, you know, more. Of a I don't want anybody to interpret that as you know anything negative. I'm just saying that that's sort of what's in the back of my mind as a guitar player when I'm listening to somebody else, especially early on before he achieved a lot of success. And well, yeah, it's Texas-based blues rock, you know, but it's Albert King and his Hendrix, and uh, I think at least you have to acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah I think I think anybody who has discovered Albert King, um, you you can't not make that gap to Stevie Ray Vaughan. I mean, I think I agree with you on Hendrix, but the Albert King thing is so pronounced when mm-hmm. they're playing, and and that's not a bad thing. I mean, but there's millions of guitarists who would love to be able to channel Albert King when they play, so certainly understand. I just- you know, in a perfect world, a just world, you know, Albert King would have got the recognition. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the fame and fortune. But yeah. that's the way life works, you know. Yeah. And I don't think, of course, Stevie, of course, acknowledge it, so that's wonderful. I mean, you know, he was uh, he was like a little kid at the feet of the master when he was with Albert, you know. Yeah. You know, those videos with him in the studio with Albert King, but it's, uh, it's, it's pretty funny. It's so cute because he's like a little kid, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that is fun to see. Uh, especially on that in session album they did together, that was a, a great listen. Um, you put out an album uh, just just a few months ago. You, you're kind of churning them out, uh, Legacy, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of a, a you know I think what a lot of guitarists want to hear. Uh, maybe not fans of you know the hard rock blues music, but you really kind of do the full on guitar hero thing. Um, how fun was that to kind of go in without the the pressure of a band and just you know you and Rev and just cut that album. Well, you said it. I mean, it's, I mean, to not have the pressure of writing and arranging songs and lyrics and dealing with, you know, the politics of band slash family. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the budgets involved and the scheduling involved and the creative differences involved, if there are any. Um, it's, it's kind of a monumental task to deal with all that every year or so. And, mm-hmm. To be able to just go in with casually and say, you know, I don't need to do this record, but mm. songs, but I feel just compelled to do them. Yeah. I feel like space right now where I want to play and I've got some ideas and I want to, you know, flesh these songs out and with no, you know, particular intention for putting it out or anything, just to do it. You know, sometimes musicians write songs just because the songs are there in their head. You know? Yeah. Then you think about it afterwards, which is the case with most of my songs. I just sort of, you know, I, I, 
they're there. They're floating around, and you got to document them. So, um, but it was a very, a relatively easy record to make. A CP for songs, but um, uh, it was a lot of fun. As you said, it was just uh, you know what I get to play guitar from the beginning to the end. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so, you don't have to worry about a singer, which you know can, like you said, can alleviate a lot of stress. I can just go balls out and just play whatever I want and have a blast and with no excuses and I have to answer to anybody. I remember doing a, the Lynch Mob record, uh, the first Lynch Mob record, which was a very uh, long process and very mm-hmm. expensive record. Sure. It took a year and a half and um, it was a monumental undertaking and. We were doing the guitars, and I spent about a, actually about a whole month on the guitars. And I was in there, and we had two producers and an engineer, you know, big Hollywood studio, one-on-one studios, and uh, you know, just earning up cash. And I'm in there, and the, the, at one point, the uh, Max Norman, the, the, the producer, pushed himself away from the board while I was doing a solo, and he goes, you know, I was being very kind of, you know, nitpicky and microscopic about some little piece that I did mm-hmm. that I wanted to fix. He said, push himself the way the word and goes, what do you think, uh, what do you think this is, a George Lynch record? <laughs> Anything serious. And, um, and he was right in a way, in that, you know, I was being a little selfish with the time and being a little too anal about stuff, but um, I had something to prove at that point with that record being coming sure. off the dock and but I wanted it to be perfect, but, um, yeah, this uh, the legacy record is the opposite of that. It was very throw and go, very casual, shooting from the hip, and uh, did very quickly. And um, as a guitar player, it was very gratifying to sort of mark the spot in time where I'm at in my playing. And, and I think it services kind of the um, kind of that era of guitar I was most well known for, which is you know the '80s, going into the '90s thing. And uh, you know, there's some speed there, and there's some uh, touchy-feely stuff there, you know, kind of the mm-hmm. whole package. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, hard rock. Yeah. In the, um, in the period when you when you departed Dokken, did you give any consideration to the idea of doing, like, a, you know, Steve, I did Passion of Warfare and some things like that. Was there any thought at that time of doing a George Lynch record? Well, I did, a, I did an instrumental. I mean, not an instrumental, I'm sorry. I did a solo record called Sacred Groove in 1992. Okay. okay. Uh, so I did that, but it had guest vocalists on it. It had a couple instrumentals. Um, but I didn't do it to be George Lynch the artist. I, I'm really a band guy. Sure. I, I love being in a band, you know, mm-hmm. just being the fourth guy in the band. Sure. Really, um, in the way that Lynch Mob is built is, is that way. I mean, like, just like Rage and early Van Halen and there's a lot of other bands, which I think is very fair that everything is equally split, you know, from decision-making to money to responsibility. You know? yeah. And I think that's the band in the truest sense. Yeah. Um, and the way people perceive, from the outside, the way people perceive certain members of the band is kind of the audience's business, you know? Yeah. But it doesn't really relate to the internal workings of our group, you know, because sure. we all work, you know, to the best of our abilities. Sure. Hard. Now, are you guys, um, uh, you were on that metal show earlier this year talking with um, with the guys about the TNN project. Um, is there any update on where that's headed at this point in time? Uh, yeah, the uh, <clears throat> because of record company scheduling, 
throughout the world because there's three different labels. We uh, moved the record up or, yeah, moved the record up or back, I'm sorry, to uh, the end of October, I think Halloween. Okay. Now, and, uh, but the band is, uh, we're putting the band together now. It's basically Mick, myself, and Jeff, so it's Docking Without Dawn. Okay. Uh, that's the working title, Dump the Chump. Sure. <laughs> the, um, uh, we are zeroing in on a, a fourth member, which will be one of the vocalists and also play guitar. Okay. We've got a couple of people in mind, and we haven't 100% decided that we're really, really close. And then we go into uh, Lynch Mob tours up until the end of October with a few more scattered dates until the end of the year. Um, but then uh, Tooth and Nail takes over beginning of November, and we go out on the road up until uh, mid-December, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I imagine with uh, Jeff and Mick's summer touring schedule, that's got to make it kind of impossible to do anything you know, this time of year with their... Uh, well, their yeah, I mean, and also the fact that I've got Lynch Mall out here all year, too. Sure. And that's the main band, you know, that's... You know, the is a... I mean, I don't, we don't really know what it is. It's, I mean, people are very excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as to how far we can take it, and how much we can support it, I don't know, because Jeff has, as you said, you know, a very heavy touring schedule and a commitment to Foreigner, understandably. Sure. And uh, as do I do to a lesser extent with Lynch Mob and, um, and Nick with Ted Nugent. So those are three things that none of us can really walk away from. Yeah. Um, so what Tooth and Nail is doing is we're going to, we, we're working in the holes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard to find, you know, holes with, Line up with everybody else's schedule, but he found a found a good five six weeks uh, near the end of the year, not an ideal time to tour. But you know we're going to make the best of it. And just the point is to to you know, yeah, you know present the music live and uh, promote the record as best we can in the limited time we have. Yeah, and uh, we already have the second record about half done. Okay, and that'll be released uh, probably you know in the fall of 2013. Okay. You know, will that, um, were those songs you guys have written for the record, or are you, are you guys doing some different, uh, you know, the previous material, or what kind of mix is that going to be? Uh, each record is half docking material and half new. Okay, so you've got the same. Uh, Jeff sings the new material, and the docking material is guest singers. Okay. Such as, uh, oh boy. You've got the, uh, Sebastian Bach and Ripper okay. and... Yeah. And um, uh, and we've taken some liberties with the arrangements, which is nice. Uh, yeah. It's just, you know, another rehashing of Alone Again, you know. Yeah. Although, I guess I would have to say that Alone Again is probably the closest to the original. But, uh, yeah. Like, uh, you know, it's not love. Uh, we do this whole kind of middle section, the complete departure, you know, a whole other piece of music. And uh, mm-hmm. we do that a bit here and there. And uh, did that a bit tooth and nail as well, which features Doug Pennock, which is... He did a great job. Yeah, it's kind of kind of fun to hear the songs done, even just slightly different. You know, is is fun as opposed to you know. There's a lot of bands out there, and I won't mention names that do the re-recording of the greatest hits that are almost indistinguishable, just to get out from under labels, which is certainly understandable. But you know, it's good to hear some different arrangements. It really serves the audience anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of those things. I guess if you're a yeah, you know, completest of the collection. You know, you buy it anyway, but 
you know, I'd much rather go back and... and What's the point of redoing if you're not going to change it up? I mean, the, the only reason that the band would do that and it would make sense, I think, creatively, is if you're doing it for some kind of project that requires the original song to sound as close to the original as possible yeah. and avoid, yeah. you know, a sidestep the label. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I know Stephen Piercy, for example, has done some stuff like that, and, and you can understand it, you know, because he doesn't need to. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I actually played that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I played on. I played the solo on round and round on one of his projects. Yeah, and that makes that makes a lot of sense to do it that way. And that's a that's a really cool record for those who haven't checked out checked out Stephen Piercy's. I don't remember the actual name of the album, but it's a lot of Rat and Mickey Rat uh, material. I believe that its label is a Mickey Rat album. Uh, which is really cool. Um, I, obviously, yeah, I, I play on it, but I never heard it. Yeah. Well, if you get a chance, it's it's really good. Nope. Well, nobody, nobody ever sends me the records. <laughs> it's true. I, I call them back. Hey, you know, I never got that record. Oh, yeah, we'll get it right after you. They never do. Yeah, maybe you have to. But the first time I usually end up seeing it is that when I'm signing an, an autograph or something for somebody and they bust it out. I go, oh, there's that record. Let me look at it. Yeah. You have to get on but a file sharing site or something to get your own record. That's not a good way to do it. Um, obviously, you've been very, very busy with the recordings, but has there been any update on the Shadow Train project? Uh, yeah, that, again, is something I work uh, at when I have time, which isn't very often. So sure. I've only had opportunities, two or three opportunities this year to work on it at all, uh, which did a pretty uh, big trip, 10 days in New Mexico and Arizona last month. Um which was awesome. Uh, we uh, helped open up a music school, a school called uh, Music is Medicine. Uh, it was just this couple, Richie and Chucky, who have this wonderful band out in, uh, in Navajo Res, and it's really their project. We uh, uh, we threw our you know threw our efforts into that and got all my endorsers to very kind enough uh, to donate a lot of instruments. Uh, Yamaha donated a drum kit, Zildjian donated cymbals. Randall donated amplifiers, and uh, ESP donated acoustic electric guitars and basses, and Core Supply donated and all the uh, miscellaneous stuff, drum heads and strength and all those sorts of things. And uh, we're continuing to do that. And uh, so uh, those go into the school and into private hands of these kids who are trying to learn. And then we get sort of do seminars and lessons and play with the, with the kids and and then we get their groups up on our website, kind of a Reverb Nation sort of thing, mm-hmm. um, from their bands. And, uh, um, you know, that's one of the things that we did. But, yeah, we've got a, we've got a, uh, a part of our film is being shown. It's really just a long trailer. is being shown at the Navajo uh, Film and Jazz Festival, October 16th, in uh, Cayenta, up by Monument Valley. Mm-hmm. And we've got a lot going on. we got the Smithsonian uh showing uh, some interest in getting involved. Uh Tom Morello's gonna be uh talking to me and possibly even playing guitar on the record. We've got John Trudell uh doing a spoken word poetry piece over a track which is will make you cry. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Just a beautiful beautiful track. And uh, uh I'm actually uh the thing I'm most nervous about is I'm actually interviewing uh Melvin Chomsky. Okay. Which is uh Pretty profound, um, and be a great addition to the film. And we've got some uh, more street level people involved in it as well. Um, you know, uh, and all all disciplines of music, all styles, all genres. Uh, 
you know, we're talking about mortal technique, uh, um, and, uh, you know, some white street rapper guys that are just all about social justice, and, you know, right. uh, it's just really, it's a, it's a heavy, heavy project, and, and uh, but it's a lot of work, because we go out and, you know, put ourselves in places where, you know, it's not easy to, to film, and it's not easy to, you know, make things happen, but where we got to go to make it happen. So, um, logistically difficult, but uh, it, it, it's uh, it's beautiful because we never come away from a trip without having been touched by just amazing experiences and meeting wonderful people, and uh, we come back energized. Yeah, it's a, it recharge the batteries and probably makes the editing of the final product and much more difficult because you, you keep coming up with uh, more wonderful footage uh, for the film. Um, you guys, I know at, at one point we're doing um, some special things on, I believe it was on, on the website for Shadow Train, where you're doing some packages and things like that uh, to help raise funds for the project. Do you anticipate doing some things like that in the future? Um, well, yeah, I'm building, you know, I build guitars, and I call Mr. Scary Guitars. I build mm-hmm. a few a year. It'll take a long time to build, and uh, and I'm working on a guitar now which I just recently cut out and uh, what it's going to be is the Shadow Train guitar and I'm working with a, um, a gentleman called Greg Lewis who's a jeweler and his father made jewelry for Hendrix Ooh, okay. back in you know, the late 60s and uh, actually made the belt buckle Hendrix is wearing on the Neptune wow so he uh, Greg was on the first boat to Alcatraz and friends with John Trudell and, you know, the whole American Indian movement uh, mm-hmm. back in the early days, late 60s, early 70s. He occupied Alcatraz for 19 months. Uh, and, um, you know, so he lives in a very small village up in Laguna Pueblo in New Mexico and I visited with him and, uh, and his son. And um, he's, uh, him and I are going to be working on a guitar together. Okay. It's going to be, uh, have actually silver eagle talons, cast from real eagle talons, embedded in the guitar instead of the bones. So um, that'll be the Shadow Train guitar, and then we're, we're hoping to auction that off and then donate you know, the money, use the money to help finish the film. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, and, and you probably, I see you guys have a website, shadowtrainmovie.com, so I'm sure between that and the, the uh, Twitter account, kind of keep everyone abreast of that. Yeah, please let people know that that, that, that exists and will help us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, really looking forward to seeing the film. It sounds fascinating, you know, especially someone who grows, lives in the Northeast and really doesn't know much about that world at all. It should be very educational and inspiring. Well, George, I don't want to take any more of your time. I know you've got you've got a new record to make and more tour dates to do, so I don't want to keep you, but I want to thank you. Today. <laughs> and then i got to go make a record today after that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you. And then, uh, on top of that, I'm writing songs for Victoria's Secret runway models, so I got to do that too. Yeah, I can see how that that could yeah. be take precedence. There's no there. models there; it's just me in a, in a studio with a, another engineer. But you, know, you can maybe you can that. So. The power of vis- visualization. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, George. Okay. All right, take care. The countdown is on. Rush. Clockwork Angels Tour. September 11th, Consol Energy Center. Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson, Neil Peart. An evening with Rush. 
sector of their career. Tickets are on sale now via LiveNation.com. All Ticketmaster outlets, the box office are charged by phone. Rush, Clockwork Angels Tour. More at Rush.com. All right, a giant thanks to Mr. Scary George Lynch for coming back on the show and talking to us all about the new EP, Stone Mountain Sessions. Also, we talked a little bit about the uh, Legacy EP, which came out earlier this year as well. Uh, you can get both the albums at Rat Pack Records. That's R-A-T-P-A-K Records. Uh, you can find both of those albums. Uh, the Legacy album, uh, brilliant, really brilliant. It's only four songs. Uh, that's probably the only thing I could say negative about it is it's only four songs. So if you're a fan of... of George is playing uh, the instrumental stuff. Uh, that is a can't miss. Uh, you can get it on iTunes for like three dollars and ninety some cents. So uh, really can't go wrong. And uh, again, the Lynch Mob with Sound Mountain Sessions. Uh, they will be doing obviously a full-length album, as he mentions in the interview as well. So let's play a track from Legacy from George. Let's play the track Blood Drive, and uh, we'll catch you on the other side of that.
Springsteen and the E Street Band. Saturday, October 27th, Consol Energy Center, Bruce Springsteen, live with the classics and songs from his new album, Wrecking Ball, available now. Buy your tickets right now at LiveNation.com, all Ticketmaster outlets, or the box office. Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, Wrecking Ball Tour. All right, that brings us to the educational portion of the show. We have the uh, returning, the woodshed. Uh, for those of you not familiar, on episode 167, we ba- debuted The Woodshed, which is brought to us by AvalonBeat.com. Uh, it's geared towards musicians, uh, learning the fundamentals of music, uh, guitar playing, etc. So if you're a musician, frustrating musician, as many of us are, and have a question, you can submit that to IronCityRocks at gmail.com. Susan will be breaking that down. And this um, segment this week is on chords. It's kind of a continuation of the first section. Uh, which was in episode 167 on the major scale. So uh, if you're not a musician, it's probably a good time for you to cut out of class. But if you're interested in learning uh, some music theory, even if you're not a musician, you're thinking about it, this is a great way to learn it. It's pretty pain-free. It's about four minutes long. So I want to thank Susan and AvalonBeat.com for bringing that to us each and every episode. So we invite you to stay tuned for future episodes. Uh, we have a lot of great guests coming on. Uh, one of them I'm extremely excited about. Also head over to our website, IronCityRocks.com. We have a ton of pictorials on recent shows. Uh, host Sean was able to go to the Uproar Festival and brought back a zillion great pictures. Uh, most of us from the staff uh, were able to catch Motley Crue, Kiss, and the treatment out at uh, First Niagara Pavilion, and I was lucky enough to bring back photos for that. Also, join us on Facebook.com forward slash Iron City Rocks and Twitter.com forward slash Iron City Rocks. And until next time, here's the woodshed, and we'll see you next time. City Rockers, this is Sue with the Avalon Beat Project, avalonbeat.com, and we are back with part two of Brian's questions here on The Woodshed. Here is where we get into some chords. Now, we're just going to keep it basic, major chords, minor chords for now, but let's go back to our C major scale. We had the notes C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C. And we have on the second string, first fret, third fret, fifth fret, sixth fret, eighth fret, tenth fret, twelfth fret, thirteenth fret. Now, if we are going to create a chord, it's really simple. We are going to start with the C. Okay, we're going to skip over the D. We're going to grab an E. And we're going to skip over the F. And we're going to grab a G. So basically, we're looking at the first note of the scale, third note of the scale, and this fifth note of the scale. And that works through all three major scales that we did. On the F, we're going to use the first note of the scale, the third note of the scale, and the fifth note of the scale, which will give us an F, an A, and a C. In the G, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to work on the first note of the scale, or G, the B, which is the third, and the D, which ends up being the fifth. There's a bit of a shortcut here that I'm going to get into. If you take the C major scale and you take that every other note principle that we just went over, if you jump to the F in the C major scale, which takes up the four position, and you do every other note, you notice you end up with an F, an A, and a C. And if you look at the fifth note, which is a G, 
and you do the every other note, you end up with a G, a B, and a D. So the C chord shows up in both the C scale and the F scale. If you take the F scale, F, G, A, B flat, C, D, E, F, and you look at the fifth note in there, which is C, and you take every other note, you get a C, you get an E, and you get a G. So the C major chord shows up actually in all three of those scales. It shows up in the F scale in the five slot. It shows up as the root chord or the one chord in the first slot of the C major scale. And it shows up in the four slot of the G major scale, G, A, B, C. And we take every other note, we end up with C, E, G again. So not only are the scales very closely related as we looked at in the last section, but the chords are really closely related as well. So these three scales and these three chords overlap in so many different ways that they're almost like kissing cousins. They're very close to each other. They're very interlocked, both chordally and through the scales themselves. That is the second thing to look at. Now, I'll give you the rest of that shortcut. If you're dealing with a major scale and you're doing this every other note process, okay, any chord that you start on the first note, the fourth note, or the fifth note is going to be major. Any, any chord that you start on the second, third, or sixth note will be minor. Now, we can get into minor scales and minor chords and minor modes a little bit later on. Right now, we're sticking with majors because it's the most basic. So that is what we have on chords. Mm-hmm.